In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, actually, we'll start, we will continue our Bible study from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 9, starting from verse 28 to the end of the chapter. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. The story of transfiguration was mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke. John just mentioned about the glory of the sun in chapter 1, but he did not mention the story in detail. In Matthew and Mark, we read after six days. But here in Luke, we read now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. So is it six or eight? So the Lord actually asked the disciples, who do men say that I the son of man am? And Peter told him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the Lord told them that the son of man will, be suffer, will suffer, will be betrayed, will be crucified, die, and on the third day he will rise. Then after six days, the transfiguration happened. If we excluded these two days, the day in which he talked to them, and the day of transfiguration, then the days in between will be six days. If we included these two days, it will be eight days. For example, if this dialogue happened on Sunday, and he transfigured on the following Sunday, between these two Sundays, six days. But if we included the two Sundays, it will be eight days. But what are the significance of these numbers? As we are going to study today, Moses and Elijah talk to him about his crucifixion. And his glory reflect his resurrection. So we know number six symbolized crucifixion because he was crucified on the sixth day and at the sixth hour. And number eight signify resurrection because he rose on the eighth day. And eight, number eight means a new beginning. So this event happened not just by accident after six days from when he spoke about his crucifixion. It did not happen by accident. But in the economy of God, the transfiguration happened on the eighth day or after six days as a reference to his crucifixion, number six, and his resurrection. And we will see that Moses and Elijah spoke to him about his resurrection. So the Lord went on a mountain to pray. And what started as a mountain top prayer meeting quickly changed it into the shining 
forth of the glory of Jesus. And as he prayed, Jesus was transformed right before the eyes of disciples. As we read actually in verse 29, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. It's only Luke who mentioned that the transfiguration happened while he was praying. And Luke in his gospel actually emphasizes the prayer in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. More than the other evangelists, he emphasizes how in every uh, single event the Lord Jesus Christ was praying. Then, and behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. So, there are two traditions identifying the mountain of transfiguration. One tradition names Mount Harmon at Caesarea Philippi. But the most popular tradition identifies Mount Tabor. Even in our hymnology, we say Jesus Christ was transfigured on Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor, an isolated mountain, about six day journey from Caesarea Philippi, west of the Sea of Galilee. This dialogue happened on Caesarea Philippi. So they traveled for six days, and when they arrived there, he transfigured. That's why it took the journey of six days. Mount Tabor has been celebrated at the site of the transfiguration since the fourth century. Why the Lord transfigured? The purpose of this occasion was to fill the souls of the disciples with a vision which supported their faith during the horrors which the afterward witnessed during the time of crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord told them at Caesarea of Philippi that the Son of Man will be betrayed and be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles and they will crucify him, definitely the disciples and apostles must have been frightened and discouraged after the Lord spoke to them about his death. Then the Lord took three apostles to witness a manifestation of his glory that confirmed that he is indeed the Son of God and he will come again in glory after the suffering that he predicted is fulfilled. These three apostles, also the Lord took them with him into the Garden of Gethsemane during his agony on Thursday night before his arrest. They arrested him. Here actually the Lord Jesus Christ showed in an acted out way that cross bearers would be glory receivers. So, if we bear the cross with him, we'll be glorified with him. So, 
the end is not the cross, but the end is the glory of God. That's why number six is about cross. Number eight is about the glory of resurrection. St. Cyril of Alexandria explains verse 29 by saying, Not as though his body changed its human form, so the body did not change his human form, but a certain glistening glory overspread it. The mystery, namely, of his incarnation, also the life-giving passion accomplished on the sacred cross. So he's saying glory appeared on his body, not that the body is transformed. And the Lord Jesus Christ was not alone in this display of glory because two men appeared with him. And the disciples recognized them as Moses and Elijah. Many wonder why these two particular men from Old Testament appeared. Why not any other, like Abraham, David, Joshua, Joseph, Daniel, any other? Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophet. And Elijah, why Elijah? We had many prophets, but Elijah was very zealous for the glory of God. St. Ambrose says, the end of the law is Christ. The law is pointing to Christ. Law and prophecy are from the word. And Jesus is the word. And things which begin from the word cease or end in the word. Also, St. John Chrysostom contemplate on the reason for this event. He said, or else this took place because the multitude said he was Elijah or Jeremiah, you know, six days ago or eight days ago, when he asked the disciples who people say that I, the son of man, am. The, the answer was Elijah or Jeremiah. So St. John Chrysostom he said he, Elijah appeared with him to show the distinction between our Lord and his servants, Elijah, Moses, Jeremiah. And to make it plain that he was not an enemy of God and transgressor of the law. How come? He showed these two standing with him. Moses is the lawgiver, so Jesus is not a transgressor of the law. And Elijah was zealous for the glory of God, then Jesus is not an enemy of God. But also to give testimony to virtues of, of the men. So another reason to give testimony to the virtues of men. He wishes also his disciples to imitate Elijah and Moses, to imitate them in the government of people that they might be indeed meek like Moses, but zealous like Elijah. He introduces them also to set forth the glory of his cross to console Peter and others who feared his passion. So now he's encouraging them before the cross. This is what St. John Chrysostom said. Verse 31 who, Elijah and Moses, appeared in glory 
and he spoke of his thesis, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Spoke of his thesis. Thesis means his death. Why was this the chosen subject? Why they spoke about this? In all reverence, perhaps one reason for the visit of these blessed spirits on that night to strengthen the Lord Jesus Christ because he was God-man, perfect human and perfect divine. So to strengthen the sinless sufferer, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. The scene which lay immediately before Jesus, what is Jesus is expecting right now? Rejection, abandonment, death, agony, suffering. So, all these things are present before the Lord Jesus Christ. In his dialogue with his own disciples, he dwelt upon these things. Also, he pondered over them, no doubt, even when he was alone. So it was not only in Gethsemane that his soul was sorrowful even unto death, but he actually was sorrowful during this time. We, we heard that he cried over, wept over Jerusalem. So as in the garden of Gethsemane, an angel appeared to him from heaven to strengthen him. So here on the mountain of Tabor came to him these two men, Moses and Elijah, for the same purpose to strengthen him. Or also to strengthen and help the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Because their wave, their faith was shaken. And by this vision, their faith would be strengthened when they heard the word of Moses and Elijah about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ and also about his glory. Verse 32. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. The father said the transfiguration happened at night, so they were heavy with sleep. But when Jesus glorified, this light of his glory awakened them. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. So the disciples saw and heard a small part of this meeting because they were heavy with sleep. So maybe it is strange or remarkable or interesting to know that in such a scene they sleep. Uh, but we need to bear in mind that this event happened probably on night and they were weary from the toils of the day. 
but they did not fall asleep during the transfiguration, but at the beginning. So while they were sleeping, his countenance was changed, and Moses and Elijah appeared. Then, uh, what they saw when they were fully awake, uh, they saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory and the two men. And probably they were awakened by the shining of the light around them. Verse 33. Then it happened, as they were parting, as Moses and Elijah were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. So Peter said what he said when Moses and Elijah began to leave. Peter did not want the scene of glory to stop. Many times when we are with Jesus on Transfiguration Mountain, we say it's good to be here. If he takes us to Gethsemane, we'll sleep. If he takes us to the court, we'll deny him. If he takes us to Golgotha, we will escape and run away. That many times how we act. Peter suggested three tabernacles, and he made the mistake of making the Lord Jesus on equal value or equal level like Moses and Elijah. And perhaps Peter made the suggestion to build these tabernacles because the event of transfiguration happened very close to the Feast of Tabernacle, but as the Bible says, not knowing what he said. Verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. So while Peter was making the above request of the three tabernacle, before an answer was given to him, a cloud appeared. Uh, but this cloud was not a regular cloud. It was very uncommon one, a symbol of the divine presence. If it was just a regular cloud, then there was no reason for their fear. Uh, at the beginning, Peter felt it is good to be here. But when the glory intensified and the cloud came and overshadowed them, it started to create in them this awe and fear. Peter may not have known what he said, but he knew what he saw. The cloud of glory was real, and he was fully awake when he and the other apostle saw the cloud of glory. Then a voice from the cloud of glory made it clear that Jesus was not on the same level with Moses and Elijah. That's why the Father says, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Saint Ambrose says, Not Elijah, not Moses, but he whom you see alone 
is my beloved son. Jesus is my beloved son. Also, St. Theophilactus confirmed, therefore it is added, when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. Lest anyone should imagine these words, this is my beloved son, were addressed to Moses or Elijah. So the voice was evidently for the disciples. One more help for them in their present and future struggle against the doubts which ever and again would be suggested to them by the enemy of the human soul, Satan, when they see Jesus on the cross. In the transfiguration, we can say the Holy Trinity is manifested. God the Father said, this is my beloved Son. God the Son is in his glory. And the Holy Spirit is the overshadowing cloud. Why you are seeing the Holy Spirit is the overshadowing cloud? The word a cloud came and overshadowed is the same word found in the account of the Holy Spirit overshadowing St. Mary. Luke 1.35. The same word is used in the Greek translation of Exodus when the Spirit of God overshadowed the tabernacle and the Ark of Covenant as we read it in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. So a cloud is a frequent vehicle for the manifestation of God's presence in the scripture. And there are many references how the cloud is manifestation of God's presence. Verse 36, when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen, because the Lord instructed them not to say anything. So after all, Peter, John, and James told no one. But after the resurrection, Peter clearly remembered and referred to this event. You can read it in Second Peter chapter 1, from verse 16 and 18 when he said, and we saw his glory when we were with him on the holy mountain. Also, John referred to the glory in John chapter 1, verse 14. So they remembered this powerful experience that showed Jesus in his glory and also in his role as the Messiah. Verse 37. Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly, a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son. Just look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit sees him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. All this medical terminology and medical uh, explanation of what happened, because actually 
Luke was a physician. So now it happened on the next day. As I told you, transfiguration happened at night. So in the morning, uh, this man met the Lord Jesus Christ. So after Jesus and the disciples came down from the mountain, they were met with a demonic trouble and opposition. The father just said, look on my son. So all what he expected from the Lord Jesus Christ, just to look on his son, and then the compassion of the Lord will lead him to cast out the demon. And you can see the tender sympathy of St. Luke in all the detail that he mentioned. St. Luke also is the only evangelist who mentioned that this poor tormented boy was the only child. The other evangelists did not mention this. And the description that we read in verse 39 is what we call right now epileptic seizure. Uh, but here in this case, the Lord knew that there is an unclean spirit had taken possession of the suffering child, not physiological causes. So although it looks like epileptic seizure, but the Lord was able to know this not epilepsy, but it is uh, because the possession of a demon. The man continues in verse 40 and says to the Lord, So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your, bring your son here. We knew that the Lord Jesus Christ gave the apostles power to cast out demons in the same chapter, chapter uh, verse 1. And while Jesus, Peter, James, and John were on the mountain, the nine disciples were continuing their mission in preaching the, the uh, coming of the kingdom and healing the sick and casting out demons. But they could not actually cast out this demon. Why? The Lord diagnosed this faithless generation. Their failure because lack of faith. It's a failure which reflects badly also on the credibility of the uh, followers and the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Lord here was frustrated with his disciples. Why? Because now his ministry is coming to end. He would be crucified very soon. So the Lord felt frustration that the disciples did not have more faith after all this time that they spent with him. Maybe the disciples were intimidated by the power of the demon. So the Lord asked the father to bring the child. Verse 42. And as he was still coming, 
the demons threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let this word sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. So, even when the Father brought the boat to Jesus, at first, he did not seem to get better. The child convulsed, and uh, the problem showed themselves as bad as ever. So, the demon made like a final assault on his victim, rending and convulsing him. But a word from our Lord Jesus Christ was sufficient, and the spirit which had brought the cruel curse of disease and madness into this boy was cast out, and the boy was completely cured. And Jesus actually uh, delivered the boy to his father. And here it's amazing, while all were wondering the majesty of God and what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Then the Lord said to the disciple, let this word sink into your ears. So for the second time, he spoke about his approaching this. After this great miracle, but he didn't want the disciples to forget that the main reason of his incarnation is to die in the cross. Lest this great miracle mislead them and say, no, he will not die on the cross. That's why he told them, let this sink into your ears. The Son of Man will be betrayed. So Jesus had just revealed his glory in two spectacular ways, transfiguration and casting out of a difficult demon. Yet, after these two events, he reminded his disciples that his mission has not changed. He came to the cross. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men in order to save us from our sins. Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Probably the question here is not they did not understand, but maybe it is they did not want to understand. Because the words are very clear, but in their mind, how Jesus, this great man, would be delivered to the hand of men and be crucified and suffer. They had seen Jesus' power and authority. So it is very difficult for them to conceive or to comprehend how he would not exercise the same power and authority when they arrest him to crucify him. 
Saint Cyril of Alexandria says, now someone perhaps will say, how were the disciples ignorant of the mystery of the cross, seeing that it was touched upon in several places by the shadows of the law? But as Paul relates, even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. It becomes then those who approach Christ to say, open you my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things out of your law. So Saint Cyril of Alexandria said, although the mystery of the cross was very clear in the Old Testament, but because there was a veil on the eyes of the disciples, they did not understand. The veil is removed in Christ, as St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 46, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. So somewhere on their journey back to the south between the neighborhood of Caesarea Philippi and Cabernaum, this dispute must have taken place. So their jealous ambition had been sparked by the separation of these three when the Lord took Peter, James, and John and went on the Mount of Transfiguration. Although maybe the nine didn't know what happened, but there was jealousy. Why the Lord took only Peter, James, and John? Why not all of us? So they perceived them as privileged. Uh, so they start to think where we stand in the kingdom of the Messiah. This dispute happened again on Covenant Thursday after communion, after they partook took of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, they disputed again who is the greatest among them, as we read it in Luke 22, from 24 to 26. Who is the greatest? Jesus could point to himself and I say, I am the greatest, he is God. But instead, he took a little child as an example. Greatness in heaven is measured by childlike humility, the obedience of a child, self-emptying and total dependence on God. So whoever is more childlike in this way is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus challenged his followers to be the least. You know, in the world, usually we like to be the first, to be the greatest. But the Lord challenged them to be the least. He told them, 
for he who is least among you will be great. He who is least among you will be great. So the desire to be praised and to gain recognition should be foreign to a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wants his followers to embrace least as a choice, allowing others to be preferred, and not because we are forced to be least, but this our choice, not because we are forced to be least. Uh, we'll stop here for our Bible study tonight uh, at verse 48. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.